0: Welcome, everyone, to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. Well, how many of you have your Christmas shopping done? Oh, stop showing off. Come on. I don't. Woo! Okay. (laughs) Okay. Me and my Amazon, I get, I get packages every day. They, they have worn a path down my driveway. But I am just a kind of a little bit of a procrastinator, just this much, okay. And I want to tell you my Christmas story, because this is a time of year when busyness can just turn us into this frenetic frenzy. And I kind of get that way sometimes. It's like, oh my gosh, stop telling me how many more days to Christmas. It just puts pressure on me, right? And so here's my true Christmas story. I was on my way to church because there was a Christmas party, a staff Christmas party, and I was supposed to bring a gift, the $15 gift, right? Well, I procrastinated, and I literally had 10 minutes to run into Target. Do you all have a Target? No. You've got to come to Grand Rapids to go to Target? <laughs> oh, okay. Because it, we call it Target. But anyway, I had 10 minutes to run into Target, find that scarf that I should have bought the last time I was there, get through the line and so on. So anyway, you know, I, I've got a plan. I've got to carry out the plan. And I, there is not a minute to spare. I do not want to be late for this party because it would look like I procrastinated, which I really did. So, I park. I found a good parking spot, that was step one. Now, on our parking lot in Target, there's actually a sidewalk that runs down the middle. So, I parked, got on the sidewalk, chucking into the um, store, hoping that scarf is still there. There it is, I grab it. Nobody else in line, I get in there, pay for it, things are going great. Couldn't be going better. I'm going to make it on time, I might even be early. They will never know that I was running, running, running to the last minute. So here I am, I have my car key in my hand, I'm ready. I've got my bag in my other hand. I even brought a gift bag and tissue paper from home, because this is getting wrapped in the car, right? Okay, so I'm back on the sidewalk. And you have to picture this, because all the bumpers, the front bumpers are, are alongside. And I see the car, but out of the corner of my eye, I notice there's another woman, but she's walking, on the other side in the parking lot along the trunk side of all the cars. I'm on the hood side, she's on the trunk side, and somehow we're like keeping pace. This is kind of weird. So we're like going down the parking lot. So I see the car, I turn into put my um, get, get to the door, and she turns at the same time, and we're face to face. And I'm like, this is really weird. I think. Well, she must be getting in that car next to me, so I'll just slip in really quick. So I shut the door, key in the ignition, and I hear this (laughs) on the window. And there she was, standing there, eyes as big as saucers. She says, um, I think you're in my car. (laughs) And I said, key in ignition. It fit, I said, no, this is my Bigby cup. Those are my pet." Oh, no, I'm not in my car. So what do you say to somebody when you're in their car? (laughs) Awkward, right? So I just (laughs) sheepishly opened the door and stepped out. I don't think I said anything. I was just rude. I just got (laughs) out of there. (laughs) So I'm like, "What? what just happened? I was stunned, and sure enough, three cars, down there was my car. I got in my car. How embarrassing! I'm not going to tell anybody, but now I tell everybody because it's kind of a funny. It's my Christmas story. But here's the deal: my key fit the car, and that car was the exact replica of mine, inside and out. And it, I could, I think I could have started it, and I think I could have gone to church about three minutes around the corner. And can you imagine the headlines? Women's ministry pastor steals car. Because <laughs> they would have found her car in the church parking lot. Thank God for his timing, right? <laughs> so that's my Christmas story. But I would love, love, love to bring to you tonight the real Christmas story. And how amazingly appropriate that we are here with real women to receive the real Christmas story. See, my title tonight is Rediscover the Wonder. And those of you who have, you know that Christmas story. We can recite it. Oh, there was a virgin birth and there were shepherds and there were angels. But you ever just stop and say, oh, let's look for the miracle and the absolute wonder. And I want to rediscover the wonder. I want to dig for some of those hidden gems in this true Christmas story. I I pastor women's ministry part-time, but I also teach children. And I have a business where we bring music uh, to daycare kids. And I tell them, you know, when I say story, it almost sounds like it's pretend. So many things in kids' lives today are pretend. They're not real. And I tell them, this, is, this really happened. And I love to dig for the treasure, sometimes the hidden gems. And sometimes, in the retelling and retelling and retelling, we forget to look for the wonder. So I want to pause tonight. Reflect, reimagine, and retell the story can you tell I like our words? I do. Remember and remind ourselves what the real meaning of Christmas is. After all, you are real women. But maybe even more, I want to take, take some time to regain and reignite the wonder of the true Christmas story. Let's look for the treasure together, shall we? We're going to go digging for gems here. And I know that tonight, what my prayer is, Holy Spirit, would you reveal your magnificent love story to each and every one of us here tonight? Because you know, Jesus coming to earth was God wrapped in a baby. He had to get wrapped in flesh to come and be one of us. Now, We know that every word in the Bible was God-inspired, Holy Spirit-breathed, amen? And I like to, when I'm reading the Bible, I like to ask some questions, and I like to ask the Holy Spirit, why did you want us to know that detail? What are we supposed to understand that you told us what seemed maybe an insignificant thing, but it was significant enough for the Holy Spirit to put it into um, the living word of God. And we have to remember the word of God is just not dried ink on paper, it is alive, it is powerful, it brings life. Oh, I've seen I've seen it raise the dead, ladies. That's how powerful the word of God is. And so we're gonna look for those life-giving moments in the real Christmas story that we all love and know. But you know, I don't know that anybody retells the Christmas story any better than this guy that we're gonna watch on the screen. Because this is a very familiar passage from Luke 2. So please roll that video, would you please? is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> I think that's the end. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think Linus is really anointed. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's just a—I don't uh, even as a kid or even as an adult, I I'll still like the Charlie Brown Christmas. So, hey, anytime we can talk about Jesus. It's amazing. Amen. So Charlie Brown shouts, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? I can tell you what Christmas is not all about. My razzle-frazzle-frenzied Christmas story is not what Christmas is all about. But we're going to make Jesus the centerpiece of our focus here tonight. One of the wonders of the Christmas story is how many prophetic um, Bible verses there are that were foretold of Jesus' birth. And so many more that I'm going to share with you tonight. But in Isaiah 7.14, I wanted to tell you that therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. A sign. Sometimes I like a sign. So I like, got just confirm it for me. Would you give me a sign? And sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't. But this time God is giving us a sign. It says, behold, the young woman who is unmarried and a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. How are we to know the right baby? There's lots of babies born in 700 years. But this is the one baby... In all of time, in all of history, that is going to be born from a virgin. Okay, come on. Is that not a wonder? Is that not a wonder? And so we know that absolutely came true. And it was a sign so we would have absolute confidence that this baby, this Jesus, is the one and only Son of God, born into the world. We don't have to wonder about that, but we can say with confidence that, yes, you are the Son of God, the chosen, the the promised Messiah. And I want to just say, pay attention to the signs because there's more. In Luke 2, we read about an angelic visitation of the young girl named Mary. At the time of Jesus' birth, it was customary, get this, for women to marry between the ages of 12 and 14. How many of you have daughters between the ages of 12 and 14? Can you imagine them getting married? No, but it was, not, <laughs> it was not unusual. It was very customary. And so here we know that most scholars believe that Mary was about 13 when the angel appears. And we know that Mary was a virgin. And was she not fulfilling? She was a fulfillment of what we just read in Isaiah 7. And so he, Angel Gabriel comes to Mary. Is that not a wonder? Had you ever encountered an angel? I'll bet some of you have. The Bible actually says that we will entertain angels unaware. I can tell a few stories there. That'd be fun. You can share your angel story with me later, okay? Uh, So we read that the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Blessed of God are you before all women. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace, free, spontaneous, absolute favor, and loving kindness with God. And listen, he says, you shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Okay, um, back up just a little bit. Pretend that you're a 13-year-old, beautiful, virgin woman, young woman, who has kept herself pure, and you are already betrothed to be married to a man, not yet married, and you are a virgin, and you find out you're gonna get pregnant. Is that good news? (laughs) And you can imagine that it was going to be interpreted like she was scandalous or like she had given away her virginity. And it was no small thing, but remember, the virgin woman who is young and is impregnated by the Holy Spirit is the sign, right? It was foretold. And Mary... God bless her. She says, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I have no intimacy with any man as a husband? And you know, I don't think it was unbelief. I think it was just confusion. It's like, hmm, I understand the birds and the bees, and I don't know how this is going to happen. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you like a shining cloud, it said. And so the holy, pure, sinless offspring which shall be born of you, will be called the Son of God. And I believe that Mary knew that Isaiah had foretold. And now she is hearing the news. She's the one, the highly favored one that God has chosen. So now she says, oh, let me just ask this question. Excuse me one moment. That was a wonderful meal, by the way. <laughs> I just need a little extra drink. Anybody in here ever heard the Bible verse? There's nothing too hard for God, right, along those lines? Well, I ask you, wh- who said it? Well, Jesus said it, but the angel tells Mary right here in Luke 1.37. He says, for nothing is ever impossible And no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. Ladies, there's not one single word that God speaks that is impossible. It will always, always, always be full of power when it's sent forth in faith. Super powerful statement made by, Ge- by Gabriel. What is impossible in the natural is possible with God. And not only that, there is nothing that God says that is impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Can you say that with me? Nothing is impossible for God. If God said it, it's possible. And it doesn't matter what it looks like, what it tastes like, what it feels like, what the natural course of it is, nothing with God is impossible. He supersedes, overpowers, and overcomes anything that looks impossible. Oh, ladies, I just feel like right now we need to just pause. And I feel like there are people in here, you are facing an impossible situation, and what happens is, is we look in the natural and say, I don't know how this is going to get fixed. I don't know what to do with this bad report. I, it looks impossible. And in the natural, it might be. But if nothing is impossible for God, can I say that we don't, there, are, there is no such thing as an impossible problem. Because with God, all things are Possible. I don't know how many other different ways I can say that for you. But I think it's such a very, very huge truth to grasp onto. Somebody here is like grabbing onto that right now. Would you just reach out and grab it? I'm going to pray for you. Who has raise your hand if you need prayer for an impossible situation. You're frustrated. The devil's trying to steal your hope because it just seems impossible. Father God, we speak possibility into what seems impossible right now. We receive a promise and then we believe that your promises are always yes and amen and that there is nothing too hard for you. And no word that comes from you is without power or impossible of fulfillment. And we grab onto the hope of what is possible by keeping our eyes on you. Do not look around you. Don't even listen to the doubters. You need to keep your eyes focused like a laser on the God who specializes in the impossible. Can we receive that? Let's just give God the glory for that. Woo! I'm there with you. I'm there with you, and I have to not listen. I cannot look to the right or to the left. I look up. This is where my help is. The God who is greater than sickness or disease. He's greater than any financial issue. He will heal your broken heart. That is not too hard for God. Do you sense the love in that? Thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much that you made it possible in the supernatural, what seems impossible in the natural. Father, I pray for comfort in grief. I pray for peace and consolation, healing from all sickness and disease, because thank you that you care about every detail of our lives, and he does. I love Mary's response. She says, well, if nothing's impossible with God, then let it happen to me just like you said. Oh, that we would have the the same trust and faith in our God. Here I am, God. I'm choosing to believe and trust in you. I'm trusting in you over my situation, over my feelings, over my problems. I believe you've already provided everything that I need to live this victorious life because you finished that work for me at the cross. And I choose to rest, rest for your stress in your promises because he is faithful. All right. <laughs> I have three more pages on that, but I think we'll move on. All right. Here's another prophecy. It just, here's a detail, right? Micah 5.2 says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah. I don't think I said that right. <laughs> so I feel like I'm lisping. I'm not fur. But though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me the one who will be ruler over Israel. The detail of where Jesus is going to be born apparently is very important. It's another sign, isn't it? But We have a problem because Mary and Joseph do end up getting married. Mary's pregnant. Quite prego here. And the, uh, they live in Nazareth, and the Savior is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So how is that going to work? Well, it just so happens at that time that a decree went out for everyone to return to their ancestral home. And both Mary and Joseph were direct descendants of David, and David's home was? Bethlehem. So here we have poor Mary riding on a donkey for who knows how long. Can you imagine being nine and a half months pregnant and getting, you know, having to make this journey? Because we know when the time was right. When she got there, Jesus was born. Such timing, though. God's timing is always exact. And I, I, I don't know about you. I don't really like that when people say God is never early, but he's never late. I just say God knows. The timing is right. The t- I'm going to trust his timing. I believe he puts us in the right place at the right time. And when we see that Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem, all I have to say is prophecy, check, got it, done. So Bethlehem was the right place and it was the right time. But do you know what the word Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem actually means? Is the house of bread. Now when Jesus was in his ministry he began to reveal to people who he is and one of his i am statements is i am the bread of life no coincidence cuz he was born in the house of bread that's found in john 6:35 jesus said i am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty And while they were there, the time came, and Jesus was born. And she gave birth to him. But there was no room in the inn. And here it is, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the prince of peace, not being born in royalty, but he's born in a stable with animals. With my kiddos, we we sing a song, it's like if they were, donkeys and goats and sheep and who knows what in that barn. How in the world can God's baby sleep? It could have been a real noisy place. It seems like such a lowly place for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, doesn't it? But see, Jesus didn't come to ever sit on an earthly throne. He would never wear a jeweled crown. But he would wear a crown, wouldn't he? He would wear the crown of thorns because Jesus was a baby sent to the earth on a mission. He was a baby born to die. He was the Savior of the world. He did not come to to bask in any palace, but he came to be one of us. And to live among us. And he had to lay aside all of his advantages of being God. Now, why is that significant? Because we find out that Jesus never sinned. You say, well, of course he didn't. He was God. But he was man. He lived as man, so connected to God, his heavenly Father, that he did nothing but what God showed him to do and said nothing but what God, he heard God say. And if we did that, it would keep us out of a lot of trouble, don't you think? And in that, Jesus never sinned in thought, word, or deed. We'll get back to the significance of that a little bit later. So here he is, he's a baby, wrapped in cloths, laying in a manger. Now, come on. Babies don't sleep in mangers. A manger is a feeding trough. A manger is possibly, I've read, and we can't prove this because we always see that neat little tidy, um, I don't know, triangular-looking thing, you know? We put a little hay in it and put a baby doll in there, you know, and say, that's the manger. But uh, Bethlehem is a very rocky place. And it's very possible because even today you can find a manger, a feeding trough where the hay or the oats are to feed the animals is placed, actually hewn out of stone. And it would not be the, the last time that Jesus would be laid out of stone because he would be wrapped in grave cloths and laid in a tomb. And it, It seemed all was lost. The Savior was dead. Oh, but we know the rest of the story, right? Three days later, up he arose on Easter Day. And that's another whole wonderful story. But again, the long-awaited Messiah came, wrapped in a baby because he came to be one of us. And he can feed us. We feed all. On him, as a, a, an animal would feed from that manger, and you know, I—it seems like Jesus just kind of slipped into the world. You know, um, the kings didn't know about it. The people really didn't know. He's in a stable, for goodness' sake. No hospital. No no inn. And it was almost seemed like unnoticed. Oh, but he may not have lived in a palace, but he had a pretty royal. Birth announcement, wouldn't you say? Because in the fields surrounding Bethlehem, there were shepherds. You know the story, right? And they were taking care of stinky sheep, I'm sure. And in the middle of the night, we know what happened. A beautiful band of angels appears, and the night turns from dark to light. And it says that the sky is Filled with these angelic hosts proclaiming Jesus is born. And they would say, "Um, Go find this baby because here's a sign. Remember, we talked about signs. And one of the things that the angels tell the shepherds is this will be a sign for you by which you will recognize him. You will find, after searching, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and what? Lying in a manger. So, guess what? The shepherds, to find the right baby, I'm sure there was more than one baby in Bethlehem, did not go knocking on doors. But where do you think they went? Looking in every stable. Any baby in there? Nope. Next one. Uh, Nope. There's no baby in that manger until they found the one and only baby in Bethlehem, born that night, laying in a manger. This was the right one. And God made sure that the shepherds knew that this was truly the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah born in a stable, lying in a manger. Many scholars believe that these fields surrounding Bethlehem were also uh, the same fields that sacrificial lambs, which were offered uh, for sacrifice to take care of our sin problem, that those lambs were being raised, the temple lambs were being raised around those fields. Others believe that these fields uh, were part of uh, Boaz's flocks, and he's also part of the lineage. of of Jesus, of David and Jesus. But see, temple lambs had to be sacrificed because the blood of an unblemished lamb covered over sins, but it had to be done over and over and over. We know that John the Baptist looked at his cousin Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to what? Take away the sins of the world. The, the blood of an animal could only cover sin. Like if I could fill this whole stage with stinky garbage, it would be like putting a sheet over the top so you couldn't see it. But it was still there. It was just a covering. It was temporary until Jesus The perfect lamb of God was going to shed his blood and he was do a final sacrifice. He would wash your sins away. As far as the east is from the west, I don't know my directions here, but you know what I'm saying. Does east ever meet west? No. Can I just proclaim you? You are no longer sinners, but you've been blood washed in the lamb's blood once and for all, and what a beautiful sacrifice, because the wages of sin is death. Something or someone has to die, but it has to be perfect blood. See, that's why Jesus had to come down from heaven. He was 100% God, 100% human. And because a man, in the beginning, gave away his rights and sinned, therefore, all of creation fell, Sin came in through one man. Sin had to be eradicated through a man. God couldn't do it without a man. So he said, the man. The only one who could do it for you and I. The only one who could live that perfect life. The only one who would have the perfect sinless blood that gives us the freedom to no longer be living in the captivity of sin. But he set us free from his bondage. He was a baby born to die. Because, you see, Jesus laid his life down. No one took his life from him. I believe Jesus could have at one point said, can't do it, don't want to do it. Too much, God, go find somebody else. But he did it out of obedience, and he did it out of love. He did it because he loves you. If you were the only one that needed salvation, if you were the only one that needed cleansing from the blood of Jesus, he would have died just for you. But he only has to do it once for all time. And while Jesus hung on the cross shedding his blood, God made him the the carrier, the bearer of our sin, the innocent one, the unblemished lamb of God, the one who never sinned, became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. Picture this. You commit a crime. You're guilty. You did it, and now you're facing the judge. You deserve the judge to throw the book at you. You were caught red-handed in breaking this law. And when it comes time for that conviction, and you're sure to get the death penalty, somebody steps up and said, send me instead. I'll take the punishment for you. You can go free. I'll die in your place. That is what Jesus did for us. He never committed a sin, but he became sin so you and I could enjoy right relationship with him. We are declared righteous, not because we are so good, but because he is so good. Amen? Amen. Did you know that temple lambs during the time of sacrifice, they were sacrificed two times a day, once in the morning at 9 a.m. and once in the afternoon at 3 p.m. Did you know that Jesus, the perfect, precious Lamb of God who never sinned, the innocent dying for the guilty, was nailed to the cross at 9 in the morning, and he breathe his last breath at three in the afternoon. Jesus is truly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know about you, that just gives me chills to say thank you, Jesus, for your love. I told you it was an amazing love story. And all we can say is, Jesus, we love you and thank you. Don't let anyone Ever take Christ out of Christmas it's Christmas, and without Christ it's just must <laughs> so it needs to be Christmas and every once in a while I slip up and say happy holiday but uh, mm mm. no 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 I don't ever want to take Christ out of Christmas because he is the reason that we love him It's his love, love story to us. Get this one. Romans 5, 8. Love this passage. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Ladies, he did not wait until you were lovable. He loved us when we were absolutely unlovable. Before we loved him, he loved us first because he chooses to love you and he couldn't love you anymore today Uh, if you Went out and just fleshed out. He still loves you, silly. Don't do it. His love compels me to go and sin no more because I would never do that to someone who loves me that much. When I have a true revelation of how much he loves me, it makes all the difference. Hallelujah. I hope you're feeling loved right now. I hope you're getting a new revelation of just, the kind of love that he has for us. And the word says, you'll never be able to reach the end of it, the height, the depth, and the width, and the length. You think you know Jesus loves me, this I know, and all I can say is, no, I don't. Because there's always, always so much more to know about God's love. But I'm gonna enjoy a journey in my lifetime to discover greater and deeper and wider and higher depths of his love because it's his love and his compassion for us that changes us from the inside out. If you're struggling with behavior that you know is wrong and you love God, and you say, I don't know why I just keep doing that silly sin, I'm going to try harder. Well, can I just encourage you, just die harder. Surrender to the one who loves you. You keep trying to change your behavior. You're working backwards. He needs to transform your heart. And that behavior, it'll pretty much take care of itself. Because he'll change your want to. Your desires will begin to line up with his desires. You begin to care about what he cares about. And you'll have a heart that wants to follow after the one who loves you so perfectly. It's the best way, ladies. Those addictions, those habits, kick them to the curb. Say, I'm ready to live for you, Jesus, but I need you to do a work in my heart. Here is my heart. I had a friend say, what does God want from me? I keep trying so hard and I keep failing and she felt so miserable and she was sure God was mad at her and I said, Stop. God loves you. He doesn't condemn you and guilt you or shame you. He just draws you in with his love. He's got arms open wide, ladies. You've can never, you you've never sinned to the point where God's arms close to you and he walks away. He's wooing you tonight. It's his love. He says, this is a love story I hope you're getting because I love you. You haven't even scratched the surface of how much I do. And in that love, you were empowered with no condemnation. The woman caught in the act of adultery, you know that story. Was she guilty? Yep. Did Jesus condemn her? No. He was demonstrating what he was about to go to the cross to do, and that was to take our shame, our condemnation, our guilt, the one who never did anything wrong, so that you can walk in freedom from it. And it compelled her, empowered her, and he told her, go and sin no more. He saved her life, and she, I'm sure, was grateful for it. Okay, this is like my heart just spilling out on you here tonight. But my heart, too, is to just say, I feel like there's a few few prayers that we can do here tonight. I'd like to close with an opportunity because I hope you have gotten a new glimpse, a fresh glimpse of God's love for you tonight. And I feel like, I would like to just pray a couple of prayers, and like I said, opportunities. First of all, for those of you who feel like, yeah, I really, I want to come back to my first love. I know God loves me, but I really want to lay my life down and invite him to do something new in me. Or maybe you've never invited Jesus. To be in you. You know we say this time of year Jesus is Emmanuel and that means God with us. but Jesus did something better than that because when he died, then he rose again and then he, he sent the Holy Spirit so that now he's not just with us, he wants to live in us. Okay, that's a miracle. That's a wonder. And when you invite him in, To that place, it's like the throne of your life. What the most important thing is, I want my life to revolve around you, Jesus. I'm going to get off that throne so that I'm no longer in in charge of my life, but I'm going to allow you to do a work in me. Oh, and the benefits, come on. Not only will you now have the confidence of knowing that You're saved. Your sins are washed away. And you can experience newness of life right here, right now. Every time Jesus is in us like he wants to be, he brings all of who he is. He is joy. He is peace. He is love. He's strength. Oh, he's what you need. He's what we need. This world's not going to get any better, ladies. And that's not meaning to be a doomsday message. It's a chance to stand up and shine brighter because people need to know Jesus. We need him maybe now more than ever. And so we're going to pray two prayers. And I also want to pray. I I just, uh, we were praying before. We were praying for you, you beautiful ladies. And I sense that God wants to do a, a, a particular uh, healing for those of you who this time of year walk through a lot of depression. And it almost felt like how some people say, well, it's almost flu season, or it's like hay fever season. You're expecting the worst, right? But I want to just invite you to take off that heavy garment tonight and put on a garment of praise so that you can walk through this Christmas season not heavy and, lay- and and bound but you can enjoy focusing on the real reason for this season and those of you who may be suffering loss or grieving I want to pray for you too it's my first Christmas without my mom she passed away in September we had a beautiful home going for her we sang to her all night long, her favorite hymn. We were there when she took her last breath, and we decided, my four brothers and sisters and I, we decided that when she took her last breath, we were going to look up and wave and say, Bye, Mom. We love you. Say hi to Dad. <laughs> but it still feels empty without my mom. So if you're going through some of that kind of loss, grief, and depression, God wants to take care of that. So if we could just pray would you just bow your heads with me father we've heard a lot tonight but most of all lord may the ears that have heard be the ears and the eyes of our heart to understand in a fresh new way the revelation and the depth of your love for us and all that you accomplished on the cross for each and every one and i first want to pray and no one's looking but if you're if you're needing prayer for depression and loss and even feeling stuck in grief would you just raise your hand because there's an anointing here God said it; he wants to do something really amazing for you and through our tears Lord may we understand that we're not alone that you're ever near and that anything lacking in our lives you can more than make up for us inside And so we choose to take off this heavy garment and put on this garment of praise. And it's not about my feelings, but Lord, I thank you for the way that you're healing, healing my heart. And so this can be a joyous time of the year, the Prince of Peace, to bring peace and joy Such as you've never known before, and then for those of you who feel like, "Yeah, Lord, I, I, I've kind of walked away." Thank you for not shaming me, guilting me, but I'm going to respond to your love tonight. Would you just raise your hands? No one looking. We're just going to pray a prayer of recommitment Father I just come to you and I thank you that no sin of mine is greater than your love and grace and that you've covered it all I reach out right now yeah it's like he's holding your hand come on come close daughter I love you I welcome you Father God, do a work in my heart. I don't want to go down that path anymore. I'm doing a 180. And I'm inviting you to live in me and sit on the throne of my heart. Remember, His promises are always true, and amen. And finally, for those of you Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be that personal Lord and Savior. He's saved you, but he also invites you to make him Lord, surrendering our life to him. And I want to do this a little differently because Romans 10, 9 says, because if we acknowledge and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus, right now, if that's you, right now we just close our eyes. And let's, can we all confess this out loud together? When you mean it from your heart and we're confessing him as Lord, you're going to pass from darkness to light, from death to life. What a miracle. And you will be on your way to heaven with the confidence of knowing that you've become part of God's family tonight. There's no greater place to be, ladies. So let's just all say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, you came to Earth. You were a baby on a mission, a rescue mission, to save a lost and dying world. Right now, I recognize my need for you. I don't want to live my life for myself anymore. I invite you to come into my heart. I surrender the throne of my life, and I want my life to be all around you. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying on the cross, and thank you for being raised again. Thank you that I am saved. I have relationship with you. And I'm on my way to heaven in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I think that deserves an offering of praise. Amen. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.